Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit us at borocitychurch.com. That's B-O-R-O, citychurch.com. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, would you please email us to let us know? You can email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. Thank you for listening. My name is Joel, and I am a pastor here at City Church. And this is a unique morning because once every quarter we have um, a prayer service. So we're going to do that this morning. But we're also in the Apostles' Creed series, so we're going to continue this, this series this morning as well. So we're going to do both of those. And I'm going to attempt to do that with what I call a mini-sermon. What is a mini-sermon, you may ask? A mini-sermon is half the length of a normal sermon and one-eighth the length of a Trevor sermon. So I hope that that <laughs> kind of puts it in perspective. So, uh, so once again, let's, uh, let's read this creed together before we dive in. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So this morning we come to the second to last section in the Creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to jump into our time machines real fast, and I want us to go back to the origin of the Apostles' Creed. See, the line about the forgiveness of sin was actually a relatively late addition to the Creed. The earlier confessions left it out. The addition happened after a fourth century debate among believers in the church. The debate was whether or not the church should have a clown ministry. No, I'm just joking. The debate was whether or not to allow Christians who had once renounced their faith to enter back into the church. See, Christians in those days were still subject to persecution under the Roman Empire. In 303, the emperor Diocletian ordered that the property of Christians were to be seized and burned. Their their places of worship were to be destroyed. Even some Christians were killed in that time. And so only those who would sacrifice to the Roman gods and to renounce their faith would be released. And so countless scared for their life Christians, including many clergy, did just that. And they made sacrifices to the Roman gods and they renounced their faith. But before long, things returned to normal. And then Christianity once again was tolerated in the Roman Empire. And so those who once renounced their faith slowly started showing back up into the church, right? Dressed in their Sunday best as if nothing had ever happened. But as you can imagine, I mean, my goodness, Christians who didn't renounce their faith, can you imagine what they were thinking? Those who sacrificed so much, some even their lives. And so the church had a lot of questions to answer. What should we do with these Christians? Should we let them back into the Christian community? Should they have to be rebaptized or baptized a second time? What about the clergy? 
What should we do with them? What about those who were baptized by those clergy? Should they have to be baptized a second time? So there are so many questions that surrounded this time and the church's history. But these were important questions to get right because it ultimately allowed the church to understand what it is that makes one a follower of Christ and what someone can do if they strayed away from the path that Christ has laid out for them. And so Christians actually eventually decided and argued that the church should allow these Christians back into the church, those whom had previously confessed Jesus and had been baptized. And this decision was based upon what they understood about the forgiveness of sins, hence the added line in the creed. And so I want to come back to this story, but first I want us to open up scripture together. And I hope that as we see for ourselves how God's word talks about issues of, of sin and confession and forgiveness, that you yourself might open up your heart to see the beauty of God's forgiveness through the blood of Jesus in your own life. So I hope that that happens this morning. All right, let's get at it. Open up your Bible to 1 John 1, 5 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up in the back corner. That is a gift from us to you to keep and to read. But for the time being, the words will be on the screen for you to follow along. You ready? 1 John 1, 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there's so much in this passage, um, and, and some of it we actually can't get to today, but I want to show you a couple things that God has laid on my heart as I studied through these words from John. And so the first thing is this, that God is light and God gives life. From the very beginning here in verse five, we see that we have been given a gospel, a good news message that we in the world so desperately need. Another translation actually uses this word and it says, this is the gospel message that we have heard from him. This is the same gospel that we ask you to go and to remember at the end of every service. And so what is the basis for this gospel message? It's right here. It says, it's that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. God who is light and who gives life has come to us as the light of the world and his son, Jesus Christ. And the apostles saw this and they proclaimed it for all the world to hear. And so this metaphor is actually all over scripture. We see it in the Psalms. Uh, we see it in Isaiah and the minor prophets. But most frequently we see this metaphor being used in John's writings. And so he uses these words, light and darkness, all throughout his writings. And it's in the songs that we sing, right? Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and salvation. Does that sound familiar? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? It's all up. So what to cut out for the second service? All right. We sing about darkness this morning. 
right? It's all over the songs that we sing. And now here in 1 John, we have John, one of the 12 disciples who walked with and who was taught by Jesus himself, trying to set the record straight on who Jesus was. And so again, the basis for this entire gospel message, before he even starts talking about us, is that God is light. And so let's keep going. Verses 6 and 7. See, in verses 6 and 7, John shifts here from describing God to describing us, really addressing us. And I believe specifically he's talking about Christians. John here is making an interesting point in verse 6. He's saying that the person who lies in this way is not only speaking a lie, but he's acting a lie. Watch this. He's describing the person's life as a practical falsehood. Walking in darkness is itself a lie. It's an acted out untruth. Do you see that? See, God's light, or as we we talked about, God's standard and darkness or sin, they're mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. When light comes on to darkness, what happens? Well, darkness, it dissipates, right? It's expelled. Raise your hand if you've ever been splunking. All right. If you don't know what the word is, chances are you haven't been. So... Um, or maybe you have, you just didn't know it. So caving or cave exploration. Okay. So, uh, maybe smoking may be like more involved than just spending the night in the cave for one night. But when I was in college, that's what we did. We, I went and we spent the night in a cave. Um, and, and we went so far in that unless you had like a flashlight or a headlamp, which why wouldn't you have one if you're caving, then, then you would be in absolute pitch black darkness. They took us to a place and they said, turn off your lights. And we were in pitch black darkness. And this type of darkness is terrifying. It's debilitating. It's, it's a imprisonment of sorts. But the second that someone's light on their watch comes on, or the second that someone's headlamp comes on, what happens? Light dissipates or darkness dissipates rather. And you can suddenly see the hand in front of your face right? I think darkness is a great metaphor here to describe sin. And that's how John describes it here in verses five and six. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night, right? And you know the exact way from your bedroom to the kitchen. You've walked it many times before, but because you've attempted to do it in the dark, dark outside, dark inside, what happens? You end up getting hurt, right? You run into something, you step on a toy. For me, it would be stepping on like a jagged edge of a princess crown. For you, it may be like a Lego or yeah, right. GI Joe. Um, I don't know if they have GI Joes. I have all girls, but, but listen, walking in dark, sorry, walking in darkness will ultimately only bring you pain and disappointment. I promise you. And that's why scripture here is calling us to walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? Well, one of the ways, um, Psalm 119, 105 gives us one of the ways it says your work your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word teaches us here how to live day by day in a way that both pleases God and helps us to avoid sin. And we say this all the time here, but when you read and when you study your Bible, you'll begin to discover ways where your life is not aligning with what scripture is saying. Now look at verse seven. Here we learn what happens when we walk in the light. Two things are mentioned here. First, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, so fellowship here doesn't mean, it means more than just association. It means more than, than friendship. It means more than having a, a cup of coffee and, and good conversation. 
Fellowship here is a word that means a deep sharing of things in common. More specifically, our relationship with Jesus and our mutual love for each other and for Jesus. Right? That was last week's sermon. The second thing we have when we walk in the light is what? The cleansing from sin by the blood of Jesus. We tend to think about the death of Jesus on the cross as what takes away our sins initially when we come to him for salvation. And certainly that's true, but many of us never reflect on the ongoing benefits of Jesus' death. John here, he writes in the present tense, the blood of Christ goes on cleansing us day by day from our sin. And now we're about to see how here in, uh, in verse nine, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is when we sin, God is faithful and just to forgive. So let's look at verse eight and 10. And then I want to come back to the beautiful news of verses nine, verse nine. So verse eight says, if we say we have no sin or verse 10 similarly says, if we say we have not sinned, well, now wait a minute. It seems really unlikely that someone would actually make that claim, right? That they have no sin. But watch this, rationalizing your sin, making an excuse for your sin, blame shifting. There's, there's a hundred other ways that we do this. Every time you do that, it's the same thing as saying that you are without sin. It may be helpful for us to consider the biblical doctrine of sin. See, every human being enters this world uh, at birth with a sin nature. What is a sin nature? I believe a sin nature is a bent or a leaning towards or a propensity to, to, to sin. In one sense, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And so if you're a parent, you know this already, right? You don't have to teach your kids to sin. They're naturally pretty good at it, right? I don't have to go up to Caroline and say, okay, Ellie stole your toy. So here's what you do. You walk over to her, you bop her on the head and you scream, mine! And then you wrestle the toy away from her until you win. We don't have to teach our kids to sin, right? Why? Because they have a sin nature. Listen, City Church, God hates sin. He hates it with the kind of wrath that's really difficult for us to get our heads wrapped around. And I think it's hard for us to understand because Scripture talks about so much about how God loves us. So it's hard for us to understand this balance. The best way that I've heard it said was in comparison to uh, loving your children. See, I hate everything that would rob my daughters of the fullness of life and joy and, and purpose. I passionately hate everything that would try to steal and to rob and to harm them or to destroy them or to kill them. I hate this so very much because I love them so very much. Because God loves so deeply, he hates so deeply. He hates your sin. That thing that you did last night or this past week, that thing that you're giving yourself to that's destroying your life, he hates it so much because he loves you so much. And that's why this forgiveness that we're about to see in verse nine is being extended to you because he does love you so much. So now let's look at verse nine. This is by far my favorite part of this passage. See, in the past, I would have told you that I understood this. I would have told you that because of Christ's shed blood for me, I'm completely forgiven. I would have told you I believe that. But I don't think that I fully comprehended the beauty of what that meant. See, sin is a daily occurrence in my life. My wife would attest to that. 
But there were certainly times in my life that I would describe as walking in darkness. And during those times, I would cry out to God and I would beg for his forgiveness. But I couldn't understand why, if I was truly a child of God, that I would keep finding myself going back to the same sin over and over that I knew that was so detrimental to my walk with Christ. Has anybody ever experienced the same kind of situation? And so each time that I failed, I would pray something to the effect of, God, please forgive me. Please have mercy for me. I would beg for his mercy, hoping against hope that at some point God's mercy wouldn't run out on me. But the beautiful part about this passage is that not only is it impossible for God to have a mercy limit towards his children, but when I sinned, I was praying the wrong prayer. See, according to verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so let's start with the word confess. Confession is the role that we play in regards to God's forgiveness, right? So confession is a word that means to agree with. In other words, when we sin, we are agreeing with God that what we have done is wrong. And it's contrary to his perfect standard, really, right? The, the God is light. And so that's my part. And then God takes it from there. The next part of this verse is the coolest of all. John states here that if we confess our sin, he is one, faithful, and two, righteous or just to forgive us. The amazing thing about God is that while we are often unfaithful, God never is. It's impossible for God to be unfaithful to what he promises. And so when we confess our sin, there will never be a time, there will never be a place, never be an instance where our sin will cause God to be unfaithful in offering us his full forgiveness. And here's the next word. The next word is righteous or just. So remember when I, what I prayed when I failed? God, please be merciful to me. But notice that scripture doesn't say that when we confess our sin, that God is faithful and merciful to forgive us. It says that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. This is cool. Watch. This means that for God not to forgive you would be unjust. Why? Because all your sin was already paid for on the cross. And so when Christ came to this earth and he lived the perfect life and he shed his blood on the cross, that served as a once and for all time payment for our sins. All of our sin, not part of our sin, not most of our sin, all of our sin. When Jesus shed his blood, it was the complete and total payment for every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. Isn't that beautiful? The, the famous hymn, It Is Well, has the line, you know it. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And that's it. When Jesus hung on the cross and he shed his blood and he breathed his last breath and he cried out, it is finished. Your sin was exactly that. It was finished forever. And so now that when I sin, my prayer looks much different. I pray, God, I confess and I agree with you that what I have done is contrary to your standard and your nature. And because you are faithful and because you are righteous and just, I know that you have forgiven me. So please help me to walk in the light, living my light in light of this wonderful news and your amazing love. And so you see the difference? My, my previous prayer was cloaked in this fear and uncertainty 
My new prayer is covered in this, this confidence of the unshakable love and faithfulness of my heavenly father who loves me far greater than I can possibly imagine. See, in the fourth century, when the Christian leaders were trying to determine what should happen with these backslidden believers who returned to the faith, they decided that these Christians don't need to be baptized again. And this was important, and here's why. They determined this to be so because getting baptized a second time would imply that they need to be forgiven a second time. See, they understood that the forgiveness of sin has taken place once in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so they added this line, the forgiveness of sins. And by doing so, they were communicating to the church for as long as the church had access to this creed to understand that the community of believers wasn't only for the pure and spiritually successful. I hope that City Church never feels like that we have to have it all together, that we feel like that we have to have pristine and perfect marriages and perfect children. That's a crazy expectation. The people of God loves and forgives others in their brokenness because God loved and forgave us and ours. And this was good news for the fourth century Christian and it's good news for the 21st century Christian and it's good for those who haven't yet placed their faith in Christ. See, it's good news primarily because when we recite the creed and we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are saying that we stand not on our own achievements, but by the achievements of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so where are you at this morning? How do you view your sin? Do you believe that you can be forgiven of all your sin? Or do you believe that there's, there's really gross sin in your life or a lot of sin in your life that you just feel like it's too great for God? I promise you it's not. Perhaps you've never placed your faith in Christ and you know that today is the day to talk to someone. I pray that you have enough boldness to do that. You're gonna be given an opportunity here in a little bit to do that and I pray that you would do that. There's also a card in your seat that you can fill out. The beautiful part about this is that you don't have to fix your sin before coming to God. That's not how it works. You just come stained and dirty from all your sin and then you just reach out and take the forgiveness that's been offered to you in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.